0: Hey, hello, hi, welcome to and or back to the EquiTheory Podcast. I am your host, Jill Treese, and on this week's episode, we're switching it up. We've been doing the book talks, and this week is going to be more of a, a chillax, just a chat, you know what I mean? Catching you guys up on some things that have been going on for me and the ponies and, you know, filling you in on some things. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this episode. guys before we jump into the content content we got to do some ads but if you would like to avoid the ads you can become a premium feed subscriber one of two ways you can either join Spotify um i open that option so you can subscribe here and there will be a google form you can use to submit your questions or you can subscribe through Supercast and use the ask me anything feature either way you will get access to the premium feed though i do think with Supercast if you listen on a different app than Spotify Um, I think that might be the route to go. I'm not sure what the Spotify integration is on that, but, um, regardless, you'll have the ability to ask me anything and have episodes dedicated to your question and also ad free. So it's kind of a win-win, but anyway, let's, let's roll those ads so we can get into the content. Okay. So just want to, just want to rock and roll, uh, into this episode, because like I said, it's going to be. A little bit more of a chatty one, perhaps, where I'm just talking to you about what's been going on. Um, so on the horse front, we moved Azula Fields, uh, which is riveting content, I know. But we got in two new mares, so Azula got booted to Zoe's Field, <laughs> which is the uh, the old retiree field. I think we have a couple out there that are are up there in age. And so we got um, Zoe and Azula in the same field now. Uh, To answer your question, no, they do not get along, (laughs) which is, I'm sure, going to be a problem (laughs) to deal with later. Um, But, yeah, so Azula's out there now. She's got Rory out there with her. Uh, A lot of people, it's it's so interesting to me, are really invested in Rory. Uh, I keep getting questions about him. Uh, He's doing super well. Uh, Azula is his auntie. (laughs) She is is Auntie Rue, because, I mean, if you're not caught up on Rory's story, there's an episode a while back um, on Raina talking about that whole situation, a nightmare, but um, his mother ended up having really, really horrible, horrible, horrible long-term chronic feet issues, and she just, like, her bone went through her soul a month after she um, gave birth to him due to the hormonal changes and she was metabolic, um, had founder laminitis, one of the two. Uh, it's been a minute since I've really researched hoof stuff. Um, and all the studying I'm doing for counseling, therapy, psychology, that realm is sort of pushing out. <laughs> I'm noticing pushing out a lot of the research I did on horse stuff, which is really frustrating for me. Um, but I, I, I'm, I guess, the type of person that if I don't really stay on top of learning things, I sort of forget and lose some of that um, education, if you will. But, um, yeah, so she ended up uh, really tragically, you know, in a lot of pain. And we had to make the tough call to euthanize her. And um, we got Rory a nurse mare that ended up not working out. And then we had to get a second nurse mare. I mean, it was a whole whole disaster um and then they wanted her back I think when he was about six maybe we pushed it to seven months um not old enough at all um but that is the way of the world you know you wean horses at six months um despite every research article on it ever but um yeah so uh her name was Romy Uh, I think true romance or something like that uh she was so sweet she was such a gem And, uh, she got sent back and he, it, I mean, there was just no fantastic way to do it. Um, just because they let us know literally the night before he had to go, there was like no correspondence, no heads up or before she had to go. Um, just, okay, (laughs) we need her back. Uh, we're sending transport to pick her up and we were like, okay, bet (laughs) super. So, um, but thankfully, you know, Rory was really, um, he was out 24 seven with the herd that Azula's in. And, um, he was like really a part of that. So the adjustment actually wasn't that bad for him. And I think that speaks a lot to taking the proper welfare protocols and management protocols, you know, like when emergency or unexpected situations do happen where you have to do something that is not, um, you know, the preferable choice, like Sonny, my boss asked the people that owned Romy, um, several times in several different ways. Um, she offered to buy her to keep her. <laughs> and cause we liked her so much and they, they weren't having it. And we're like, we need her back. So please do that. Um, so we tried everything to get her to stay for poor Rory. Cause we were like, poor kid's been through enough. But anyway, he, he whinnied for about 10 minutes and then he went back to the herd and uh that was sort of the end of what we could see you know the outward expression of like where'd she go um and that was sort of it really and uh he got close with I think I can't even remember if we still had Astro here or not it's all been such a blur um horses it's like a revolving door but um Astro ended up selling, I think, to somebody in like Maine or Massachusetts, Uh, and then Dexter is at the trainer right now. He's available for sale, Um, and so he's gone, which is like, oh my god, the babies. Those were the ones that grew up with Rue, and she's the only one of that little cohort left, so, um, you know, that was the original herd, so Rory really has latched on to Azula, and they're like, Azula loves him and tolerates him, but it's very much a, this is my shadow <laughs> type situation. Uh, he comes with us everywhere. Cause like I said, she's out in the the far field with Zoe and there's this little aisleway, way and there are some gates in the aisleway way that I can shut to block off to make a little training area. Oops. And, uh, when the horses are all in the very back eating their Uh, morning alfalfa or whatever, and I want to work with Azula, I gotta bring her up. And she, uh, she and Rory always come up. Um, So the whole time I'm working with Azula, Rory's just standing there over the fence, very annoyed that he's not participating. But, um, you know, I just, I straight up don't have time. I barely have time for Azula as it is. But um, yeah, so that's, that's how uh Miss Roo's doing. Zoe is also living her best life. Um she is she was having some weird issue with her udders this summer when it got really really hot. Uh they sort of got a little bit bigger and uh were producing a whitish liquid. Um so assuming some sort of milk. Um had the vet out to look at her and <laughs> it's just we have cowboy central he was like ah she's fine what? like do you ride her and I was like no and he was like then why do you care I'm like um okay so to to sort of paint the picture of what we're working with here um I also know this vet very well so um we <laughs> that's sort of the rapport and I'm like okay no I can you test her and he's like oh fine so um he tested her for infection. She was fine. So he was like, I think it's really just the heat. She might be borderline Cushing's. So I think in like March, I think we're, cause there's this, uh, program, I guess, whatever testing company he uses, um, that they have like you know, you can use, you have like 10 free tests or something. And he was like, it's not a pressing issue. She doesn't look like she's suffering. Her feet look great. Her coat looks great. She looks great. Um, so we can just, you know, wait till the test is free instead of spending a couple hundred bucks. And I was like, yes, please. Um, so I think we're gonna, we're gonna just do that just to be safe. Um, to me, she doesn't show any symptoms of Cushing's that I can observe. But then um, my farrier was like, her feet are great. Um, the only issue that she has been having that I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit because it has been so long, but I'm just not in the position to like really address it. Um, so her hind left. She can't pick it up and take it out behind her. Um, and this sort of, I believe, started happening uh, maybe like... God, I can't remember the timeline. It was it was post kissing spine surgery. I cannot remember if it was immediately after. I want to say it wasn't. I want to say that took some time. Um, but now she's struggling to take it out behind her. And I I've I've done some digging around in some um, like bodywork forums. Obviously, I can't find anything online particularly helpful. Uh, Just Googling it. So looking at Facebook groups and stuff is about all I got at the moment because I'm not in a super position uh, to afford bodywork. So we're a bit all over the place financially. But man, in, in a couple months, I will be able to have a proper therapist job. I can apply for jobs and I can have a salary. And then I will be able to, to explore this a little bit more because, oh my God, being an intern, uh, working eight to five, three days a week. And then like, we don't really have any horses here anymore to ride and like flip. And I'm not particularly good at selling horses as is, um, it's, it's not really my strong suit. I'm not a salesman. Um, but yeah, so I'm just, I'm hard up for cash and I could theoretically go get another job, but, um, I'm just, you know, I'm in a fortunate position with my family that, you know, they're supportive of me and they're like, just focus on school. Cause I've got, uh, to study for the NCE, the national counselor examination. That's been my big focus lately. Cause Oh my God, I got like a 700 page book to read um quizzing myself over it basically and uh it's it's like i got to remember the names of every psychologist ever um and what they did and their theory and what ages their theory occurred like what stages you know each stage has two levels within it and they all occur at different ages and each is named something different and has some a different like it's oh my god it's my nightmare um, and it's not, it's not just like, oh, we're studying developmental psychologists this week. You have to memorize the three. It's like everything, including like counselor theory and multicultural counseling and the ethics of the counseling field and diagnostics. Um, so it's it's the big one. And a lot of people don't actually take it until they're applying for the terminal licensure, the um, at least in my state, it's licensed professional counselor. Um, but I think there's some benefit <laughs> that I was told about taking it early. So I'm taking it before I apply for a licensed associate counselor. But um, that said, I am studying for that and dedicating my free time to that. And uh, <laughs> so I haven't explored this. That's, that's my long-winded justification of why I haven't explored this with Zoe. Um, also with her um part of it part of my apprehension is that when we start looking we find and um I'm a little bit nervous of what we'll find and I realize that that's not a reason to not investigate something that's causing pain but um okay so let me let me explain what's happening first before I give this preamble so you can hear me um so she she cannot pick her hind left foot up off the ground and extend it back behind her like and like as if she were to kick out behind her she can pull it forward um and she is quote-unquote sound walk trot canter she's not like limping or visibly off on it um but it's the putting it out behind her and that's what it's making me think it's like maybe uh high up in the pelvis somewhere and um, okay so back to my preamble um, I'm not sure what would be causing that and we don't have particularly like high-level sports medicine vets out here um, I had my vet look at her when he looked at the um, at her udders and he was like again you don't ride her do you like what is the point of investigating this and I was like because I care about her welfare and my farrier has to trim her hooves by pulling it forward. So thankfully I have a very patient farrier who tries with her every time. And she just, she just drops the foot like it's dead weight. Um, she can't like even tip it up onto her toe. Um, she just, you have to bring it forward up towards her elbow. And so he does it like that and, you know, we'll look at the underside of it and he's able to trim her that way. But, um, obviously it would be better if she could extend it behind her and not being able to is indicative of something is wrong. Uh, but like I said, we have sort of the backyard version of vets, um, very knowledgeable, wonderful people. Uh, but as far as like investigative and yeah, like, if you can get it done, it's kind of fine. So, um, it's a little bit difficult to explore things of that nature, um, cause like I said, I got the, she, she sound, she's <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. Why does it matter? I'm like, cause she needs to get her feet done and God forbid something happened. Um, so I'm, I'm butting up against that a little bit, but, um, hoping to get some body work done on it. And, um, I I've watched some videos on, um, you know, different, like, uh, I think it's the, I want to say Soaz release maybe I'm adding ilia to sacroiliac, I don't know, but (laughs) the psoas, uh, which I believe is a muscle that maybe connects your spine to your pelvis somewhere. It's really deep in your pelvis. Um, but I, from my, my memory, that's what I'm remembering. But, um, I'm thinking it's somewhere in there. I'm really, really, really hoping it's not related to the kissing spine surgery, in which case that would be, um, very bad if there was like you know, some sort of ligament damage to where it like physically can't happen anymore. But I mean, like when she trots and canters, the leg moves out behind her, right? Um, it's just holding it there. She, she physically just drops her leg. Um, and Zoe's, you know, it's not obviously a behavioral thing. She's not like that. <laughs> She's always been the horse that if you walk up to a leg, she'll pick it up before you get there. She's very polite and understands what the farrier wants. So her dropping it is Tells me something is is up that she can't, um, so just sort of like, uh, don't know what that's about, and a little bit afraid to look, a little bit um, not in the financial position to, and a little bit um, like, I the vets are not super helpful, um, always, sometimes very much so, other times like. Like, the things like, oh, they have, you know, a sinus infection. Here's the medicine for that. (laughs) And it's it's wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. We're good. Um, That sort of thing, like, clear issue, clear treatment. The things that are a little bit muddier are a little bit um, harder to get to the bottom of. But, um, yeah, I'm hoping once my financial situation is a little bit better, I can – inquire to some some uh, body worker people and see if they have any any ideas on helping that Um, because I'm worried that if it is a you know related to her kissing spine surgery that it might be um, you know irreversible and I hope that's not the case I hope it's just a lack of you know using and that maybe some pull work and some rehab work would help with that Um, again, time, money is, uh, is always the forever issue here. So, um, we'll see, but that's, that's sort of where we are with Zoe and Azula. And that has been my big dark secret looming with Zoe. Um, like I said, she can get her feet done. She does not appear lame. Um, and I know that I'm emphasizing that because obviously if she can't, her leg back she is uh you know depending on your definite definition of lame um there's definitely an issue there and we need to investigate that it's just it's not been able to be a priority for me and uh that's not all the way acceptable on my part and i feel bad about that um but let's let's move on let's not dwell on my (laughs) my bad horse keeping um but yeah, I mean, and that's not to say also that I haven't had a body worker look at her. Um, it was sort of a chin scratcher moment of like, I don't really know what to do here. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I've i used the resources I have right now. It's going to require a little bit more than what I have at the moment. Um, so here's to over explaining. Oh, my God. Um, but yeah, so back to Azula, um, I'm sort of a bit overwhelmed with training, I guess, and this might be a, um, a useful topic to touch on because, you know, I obviously started this podcast as a positive reinforcement training podcast and, um, you know, solving and answering behavioral questions. And like I said, a few episodes ago, that's, it's, it's way easier to look at somebody else's issue and break it down and work through it. But with your own horse, for some reason, sometimes it gets a little bit muddy And, uh, I'm, I'm definitely dealing with that in the way that, um, I just, I feel like there's so much, it is really overwhelming for me at least to start a horse. I know some people just like dive in head first and they tackle everything and it works out beautifully and you can start them, you know, uh, being okay to ride and, um, without tack and it it just works as this beautiful, like black stallion moment, um, obviously not, you know, it requires a lot of time and dedication, but, um, you know, I look at trainers like that and I'm like, Oh God, (laughs) like, what am I doing? And, and what's, what's crazy to me and is so like, just humbling and incredible is a lot of the trainers that I see do that. Um, they will say kind things to me and credit me in part to their ability to have done this with their horse. And I'm like, Oh my God, (laughs) I, I gave too much of the, of the game away here. I like, I I just passed the torch too early. I should have held on to it a little longer, I think, and figured it out a little bit more before I I gave it to everyone, but I think that also speaks a lot to their personal dedication to um, you know, horses and training and you know, putting the pieces together, you know, differently, quicker, whatever. Um, and that's not to say that I see myself at this massive deficit or anything or um like I I am forever honored and like just so grateful and proud to have played any role in bringing, you know, more conversation around positive reinforcement, bringing it to more of a household, um, conversation, like our attack room conversation, if you will, that like more people know about it. I, I am so proud of my role in helping with that. You know, there are, amazing names in the industry that I like with my platform of, oops, you know, jet EquiTheory, jet eventing at the time to be able to lift up their voices and their wisdom was, you know, just, I'm, I feel very privileged to have been able to do that. Um, and to have helped so many horses and riders to uncover the, you know, the magic, I guess, of working with your horse in a different way. And so in that regard, absolutely. On the other hand, I'm like, well, <laughs> shit. <laughs> you know, like I wanna be able to do that. And so um I know that I can and I know that Azula is more than forgiving. So it's it's not so much perfection paralysis. It's it's a problem with consistency also. Um but also just sort of um Oh, I forget what the the term is, but there's this sort of ADHD term um, or phenomena, I guess, of uh, sort of needing a an umbrella task to be broken down step by step by step by step. I need a shaping plan basically um, for the this big umbrella topic of starting horse under saddle. Uh, I'm like, okay, so I obviously she needs to be good with tack. She needs to. Um, understand rain brain cues left and right. She needs to like primarily understand woe and halt. Do not move. Um, she needs her duration is uh, like severely <laughs> not developed. Um, you know, my rate of reinforcement is always very high. So uh, it's mostly because I, I started her out working with scratches so with food, it's a little more salient sometimes, sometimes it's not, sometimes it is, but, um, I find that she can get a little bit frustrated if the reinforcement is, uh, or the rate of reinforcement is too low. And that's, that's just, you know, she's a young horse and I haven't been super diligent with her. Most of my work with Azula has been just existing with her and sort of, oh, oh what is her name? She did Taming Wild, um, Elsa Sinclair, I think, sort of that approach, just being with and existing with, and just being around them, observing them, learning them. And I I feel like I sort of unintentionally took that path a little bit more with her. And so the formal training has been a much slower, sporadic sort of schedule. And, um, you know, right now, I have some of the, the weekend days, I've got four days and I'm not working, um, in office, but, um, you know, there's so much else to do. My God. Uh, it's, it's not like the internship is my only, uh, source of stress or busyness. So, um, you know, today I'm recording instead of being out there working with her because I also have to make all the social posts for it. And I think I might back off with that a little bit, to be honest, because it is, it's just too much at the moment. Um, so we'll see what happens. I don't know. <laughs> I'm all over the place, but, um, you know, t- like I, I do feel like it's a worthy conversation of saying that, like, I am genuinely overwhelmed with the prospect of starting Azula. And I think that my sort of online persona has given off this impression, you know, that like, I really know what I'm doing and I know what I'm talking about. And I have some serious imposter syndrome when it comes to my own horse. Um, and just sort of in general, uh, the fact that anybody would pay me for, you know, training their horses is, is wild. So, um, the fact that it's happened is crazy. And so with, with Rue, it's, it's like, I just, I don't know. I'm like, how, where, where do I start? you know, and versus if somebody had brought me this horse and said, this horse needs this address, then I feel like I would have a very clear path to it. And, um, part of me also is a little bit on the fence because I'm also exploring Warwick's methods and, um, sort of that attunement based training and using more of polyvagal theory and things like that. And I have his book and I am a couple chapters deep, but, um, then I, I get to where I'm like, I can't read a book without taking notes on it. And then that changes when I'm able to read the book. And then I'm like, oh, I shouldn't be reading this. And then I should be reading the one that, you know, has my study materials in it. And then it's overthinking, <laughs> for sure. But, um, you know, I I want to explore some of his methods, too. And then I'm sort of in this paralysis situation of like, there's so much to train. I'm not sure what route I want to take. And, you know, somebody asked me on Instagram, like, you know, my thoughts now this day and age on, um, you know, using mixed reinforcement, positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement. And as a general, I would say avoid it as much as possible. Obviously there are going to be times where negative reinforcement happens, um, you know, in different circumstances, sometimes it just, it's unavoidable. And I don't necessarily believe that it should be avoided at all costs. I do believe it is responsible to at least in part expose horses to pressure and teach them how to yield to pressure. Now, can you teach them to yield to pressure through uh, positive reinforcement? Yes, absolutely. You certainly can. But um, at least in my opinion, I wouldn't want Azula's first time being caught in a field and having somebody pull on a lead rope to be you know, earth shattering for her. So some preparation, some exposure to that in a kind, slow, successive, approximated way, um, I think is, is responsible because, you know, like if, if Sean, my boyfriend were to go get her from the field, I don't know why he would, but, um, if that were to happen and he's maybe a bad example, cause I feel like he would be too gentle, like to the point of being like, uh, we'll walk when she wants to walk. I'm not even going to use the lead rope at all. Um, but like, I don't know, I don't know if the farrier went to catch her or the vet or, um, you know, that at one point I, I was sick. I think I, I think it was when I had COVID the one and only time knock on wood, um, that the girl that was working here at the time feeding, uh, had to go catch Azula and she couldn't catch her (laughs) and um then so I had to get up out of bed and go catch her and at the time I hadn't gone to the doctor yet so I was like um it was like day one where I sort of went downhill very quickly and uh was laying in bed and got a phone call and I was like okay I'm just letting you guys know I'm very sick right now I don't know what's happening um, and so I'm walking down there like zigzagging. Cause I feel like I'm about to pass out, definitely have a fever. And I told both of them that, and they were like, we'll keep our distance. <laughs> I was like, okay, let me go catch my goopy Philly. And I, so I, it's very easy to catch her. She's not hard to catch, but like, if you approach her and try to like just manhandle her, she's, she's very suspicious of that. Um, so more people need to alter her. Like, she'll let Sunny catch her. She lets me catch her. But, I mean, she's, part of me respects that about her. (laughs) And then the other part of me is like, if anything were to happen to me, to Sunny, and she just, I don't know, wasn't a part of my or my family's life anymore, you know, I don't want it to be this horrible experience for her. I feel like it's my responsibility to address that. Um, Because if you hold out the halter for her, she'll put her nose in it and then take it out really quick. And if you raise the halter to go put it on, um, then she's, she's out of there. She's like, no, thank you. But if you just continue holding it, she'll put her nose in it and then you can put the halter on no issue. Um, and she's always been like that since I halter broker. And part of that is probably, um, maybe I built that into the behavior. And so, okay, there's a bug on my face. Um, So maybe I built that into the behavior. It's very likely that I did. Uh, so it's something I need to go back and sort of clean up. But again, like, oh my God, so many things, so many things to train, so many things to fix (laughs) and to teach and flesh out. And so I feel like I need to write out a list of everything I need to teach her and then go through every single thing and break down. How do you teach those things? Um, and sort of get really clear on what i'm doing cuz i find that on the days where i'm like okay i actually have time to like go work with her i'm like uh what do i work on again and so like the other day the the first thing i did was go out and put her in that little in between area and we worked on targeting because i was like i think her her quote unquote manners around food is is not fantastic last i remember Um, but apparently I've worked on it since then, uh, because she, she used to be pretty bad about being in the tree pouch just because I'd never worked with her on it. And when we moved farms, I didn't really have a good protected contact spot. So it was sort of difficult to get that initial training in. Um, and so finally got that under control. Uh, but and I was working with her the other day, and she was fantastic with that. Had no issues staying out of the treat pouch. It was very respectful, and I say respectful. You guys know what I mean. In that she was keeping her head in between her shoulders and her chest. And every now and again, she'll she'll like I'll click, and she'll come over to me, and then follow my hand back to the center. But she's slowly getting that like we stay in the center. Um, and sometimes after I cue a behavior and click, I'll wait a second for her to be like, Oh, and self correct and go back to the center and then feed. But, um, she, uh, I, I worked with her a lot on targeting, she's very good about target versus touch, uh, which obviously, touch is to touch the target object, and to target is to follow, uh, without. Pinning her ears, which is where I screwed up with Zoe. <laughs> I accidentally created a lot of frustration, sort of built that into that behavior by moving it a lot and uh, waiting until she touched it to click versus Azula. I'm very careful to always reinforce far before she gets close to it. Um, and so with her, um, just sort of working on some uh, desensitizing systematically. Uh, working on like the saddle pad um, and it flapping and like lifting it up and, uh, you know, just not being super, you know, gentle. And like, this is how we slowly put the saddle pad on, you know, sometimes it, it comes up just a little bit faster. Sometimes it flops over before it moves onto the horse. So, um, you know, just little things like that, sort of deflapping, but not not in the flooding sense where I just do it and then I click her and feed her in the sense that like we're we're building up very, very slowly to each of those things. And um, something that I noticed from the first couple of times I've worked on this is I've sort of built in this raising her head behavior. When I lift the saddle pad, her head sort of comes up, which is a natural reaction. But now it's sort of happening every time. Um, so the other day I was working with her and it was very much on, can you keep your head low and relaxed while I do this? Um, so I had to back all the way up and start from just clicking her for just not reacting, essentially just existing and allowing it to happen. Touch the silo pad, put it on, um, and the head stays where it is. So, um, sort of, sort of all of those things, but, um, yeah, basically just really overwhelmed with uh, just training in general because it's it's not something where I'm working with four or five horses every day anymore and I am just horses are my life. I'm living and breathing it and reading about it and studying it. And um, like somebody asked me a question the other day about like something, current events in the horse world, and I was like, I have no idea Like they wanted my take on it. And I was like, I have no idea how to give you my take on this because I don't know what you're talking about. And I looked forever to find it and couldn't find anything about it. I had no idea what they were talking about. So, um, that's just sort of the, the frustration that I have, um, with being out of this for so long. And part of me is wondering if it's, if it's time to accept that I just get to live my quiet little horsey life and I don't really need to be on social media. Um, I keep fighting this sort of feeling like impending transition, but, um, you know, I, I remember everyone always asking me when I was like really big on Instagram or YouTube, like, how long do you think you'll do this? And I was like, I don't know. I feel like I'm either going to do it forever. or There's going to be a natural sort of fade out where if it's not going to be my end all be all, then it's not going to be like at the forefront of my, my life. And so, um, I struggle a lot with the social media thing of like, Oh, I'm not posting enough or I'm not like being interactive enough. I can't create enough creative content. Um, like I see everybody else doing. And then I have to remind myself like, this is their full-time job and not the social media part, but like living and breathing horses. So it it comes more naturally, it's, it's a part of your, your world and your life already. And, um, you know, by, I guess, the nature of switching to more focusing on on my career as a therapist is has made that transition sort of not all the way my choice, but also my choice, because like, I I love being a therapist. I love helping people. I love getting to talk to people about their their lives and what's going on for them, and being able to be a supportive figure in that way, and uh, you know, help work through things. And I feel like that is a major, major, major passion of mine. And I feel like I've always had this this sort of Robert Frost robert frostian equation i guess where it's like i've got the the road diverged in the wood (laughs) two roads that i want to quote but like where i've got two paths and neither is wrong but it's going to make all the difference and i i really feel like i've learned over the past few years especially in getting very close to and finally practicing, um, as a counselor that I was going to have to choose. And there was a time that I was like, I'm going to do horses full time. It's going to be everything. And it's, it's just not, it's not my everything. And, um, that sucks. That's, I mean, that's, that's really hard. And I think 14 year old me would be having a mental breakdown about this, but 14 uh, year old me also said she wanted to be a therapist, you know? So I was always like, that'll be my real person career, you know, my, my adult career. And then I'll do horses on the side or I'll become an Olympian, whatever happens, happens. But, um, I think for me, at least from what feels like, you know, my truth, I guess, is that horses were meant to be a passion for me. And they're meant to be and escape and sort of a solace place rather than something that I put on display and that I have to create content around and you know feel I don't know like every moment I've got to capture on film and like part of me is like that anyway like part of me strictly enjoys filming and having footage and being able to watch it and edit it And, uh, that's what, what got me into YouTube and stuff, but somewhere along the way, mostly when the copyright rules on YouTube changed and they sort of started cracking down on that. And then it was less creative. I'm having to use songs. I'm not crazy about, um, and a little bit more restricted in that way. It sort of took the fun out of it. And, uh, you know, I, I, wanted it to be more of a, of an artistic expression, if you will. But I don't know. I've, I've always loved the, the filming and having sort of those visual representations of, of moments. And like when I'm with Azula, I'm always like, oh, I want to be filming this. And it's that taking time off from the internet has sort of shifted that view from, I should be filming right now. What am I going to post in a couple months to, um, I want to, just for me though, I don't really want to post and, Um, but then there are other times that I'm like, I do want to post this and I want to share about this. So I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm in this constant little battle of like, what do I want this to be these days? And it's really hard for me to outline and define it because I, I really would like to use Instagram and my platform as sort of a, you know, this is what I'm doing here. Have at it. Um, this is sort of like a, a, a blog back in the olden days where you just had a blog about your life and your thoughts and shared sort of a scrapbook snapshot of your life. But, um, you know, that's Instagram now has, I mean, I don't need to go on a rant about that, but I mean, it's, it's really businessy and the, the level of content, um, the standard of content, I should say, like what is good content that, you know, does well attracts views that people want to see like a picture of my horse in a field is not as engaging as a picture of Zoe or like the video of um the TikTok I made of Zoe where I was talking about trauma and horses and I just picked a random clip of her um you know obviously having a uh sort of a panic situation where she's bucking and rearing that I mean that did crazy numbers and um that was sort of a like a mm I don't love that, that like the direction I'm moving is obviously a lot of boring content. I know positive reinforcement trainers out there are nodding their heads about this, that it's, it's really, really hard to do well on social when your content is very boring because that's how horse training should be. It's not supposed to be explosive and you don't always get the before shots, you know, and you don't really want to induce that in the animal so, um, it's, it's tricky. And I also don't want to feel any amount of like, I don't know, like part of me is also protective over my relationship with my horses these days where I'm like, I've, it it's for me and them. It's not necessarily for the world to see and to share all the time. And, there was a, a time where I really loved that. And I think a lot of that had to do with where I was at in life and not having super close attachments and friends. Um, and I did have some, but they were like my close friends didn't live anywhere near me at the time. And so there was there was that distance that, you know, the social media sort of filled that void and allowed me to have a community and to have friends and to feel like I belonged and I mattered and that I was important. And to me, that is invaluable. It offered me the community that I really, really needed. Because like I've said a million times, Arkansas is not (laughs) my end all be all. Um, At least my my home town of Little Rock has not been, um, you know, it's just, I've never really felt like I fit in super well here. Um, you know, there's very much hunting culture and going to church every Sunday. Um, everybody has a Southern accent and it's, it's very much that way. Um, and a lot of people who aren't like that, like to go out and to party. And that's just, it's never really been my thing. I'm, I'm more of the, I like to hike and be outdoors in nature and work with horses and to, you know, philosophize about health and wellness and things like that. And it's, it's just, it's a very different culture here. And, you know, neither is right or wrong or better or worse. It's just different. And I just don't feel like I have fit in super well here my whole life. So to have the internet and to be accepted for who I am, what I value, what I'm interested in was, was a really, really big, big, huge, huge thing for me. Um, so like I said, forever grateful for that. Um, and, you know, things change, and that's been a, a really difficult thing for me, I think, to come to terms with. I think many of you who have been listening to the podcast for a while probably have noticed that, um, you know, I'm a bit on and off with it. <laughs> I am a bit all over the place, and I, I think that is largely to do with sort of this conundrum of like, sometimes I'm really, really motivated and it's, it's all I can think about. It's all I want to do. And I can't wait to do it. And then other times it's like, I just dread it. And so part of me is like, maybe I move off to a, you know, not a every week schedule, but then I'm like, or then are you going to post at all? Um, and part of me wants to, to do it. Um, I, I think the goal I've set for myself is, until December because after December happens, uh, you know, I've been talking to people where I work and sort of what it's like working full-time in community mental health. And it's, it's about like eight to five, potentially eight or seven to, um, six or seven because of the nature of the beast. I mean, you know, sometimes people don't show up to their appointments and at the facility I'm looking at, um, you know you have to hit a certain quota and if you don't uh you know if people don't show up or you don't schedule enough um or you don't have enough availability for people then sometimes you end up taking a pay cut as a result so um it's it's something i think that is going to require all of my attention and um something where I don't know that I'm going to be able to keep this up. So I sort of at least want to do it through the rest of this year and sort of finish out strong, sort of, sort of, sort of, sort of. Um, saying that a lot today. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I also read a lot of you guys' comments on the survey, and a lot of it was There were several that kept saying, like, we can really tell when you're not enjoying podcasting, when it's not coming to you naturally, when it feels like you're pulling teeth to get an episode out. And um, those are not usually the best episodes. And I think that's super fair. I definitely agree. Um, Sometimes I get into it where I feel like I can just talk forever and I've got everything to say or I have an interesting topic. But um, when I don't have anything to say, it's like, oh, okay, nothing, nothing. I got nothing. So, um, yeah. Uh, how did I get here? Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's only fair to you guys to be upfront about sort of where I'm at right now. My plan is to continue every week and if something changes, I will let you know. Um, but I, I know that I was talking about like mixing reinforcements and if I, you know, I, I heard this, quote once um about like if you're gonna do a method i believe it was maybe warwick that even said it like if you're gonna do a method follow it all the way to the letter and um if if not you're going to discard the method and i think that's what happens a lot with positive reinforcement right people try it they are like i'm gonna use food rewards with my horse and then it doesn't go according to plan maybe they learn a little bit more about positive reinforcement and go troubleshoot and maybe it, it still doesn't work because let's be real, it does require quite a bit of, uh, investment in your own education. A lot of it's self-taught and it can be difficult to like really do it well because if your timing's not super great, if you're not super tuned into horse body language, you might not notice the little things. And some people aren't like hyper observant like that. And so it can be a little bit more difficult to, to be successful immediately. So, um, you know, like he said, if you're going to do somebody's method, you need to follow it to the letter and you need to get good at it. And then you can start like sort of bridging off. And so that resonated with me a lot because, um, you know, I sort of have the tendency of like taking pieces and then sort of trying to mash it together and it doesn't always work, but a lot of his work and his teachings really do resonate with me. Sort of that, like I said, attachment theory, polyvagal um, based methods, I think is really interesting. And I want to learn more about it. And I also have seen, you know, the effect that it has on the horses that he works with. And I think it's, it's a really, really interesting approach. So I'd like to, to learn more about it and sort of integrate the two, because I am also in a unique position with Azula who does not have a history of really, um, you know, like to compare Zoe and Azula, Zoe has a, a very, very long lengthy (laughs) history of negative experiences with negative reinforcement where she has, um, been pressured. She has been flooded. She has been escalated emotionally and, um, you know, forced into a lot of things that she didn't want to do with it and positive punishment. So, um, With Azula, she doesn't get like offended by pressure on the lead rope or me touching her leg, you know, so it's, it's sort of a catch 22 of like, there's a lot of pressure in the world and pressure on its own is not bad. Is it, you know, coercive? Can it be coercive? Absolutely. Um, Can positive reinforcement be coercive? Absolutely. It is all in how you use it. Now, my opinion will forever be that it is far easier to use uh, or misuse and abuse positive or negative reinforcement and positive punishment because, um, you know, those can be severely psychologically damaging. Uh, Positive reinforcement uh, can create issues as well, but the psychological fallout is often not anywhere near that of some of the more coercive methods, but to, you know, put my hand on Azula's hip and push and, you know, she moves away from it and steps over. I don't, I do not think that that is affecting her negatively psychologically. Um, especially since she doesn't have that history, right? You know, Zoe gets anxious and she gets very stressed when you start using pressure with her, Azula does not. Azula doesn't change. (laughs) And so it's, I think, I think it's about the horse's learning history just as much as anything else. Um, does that mean that I want to train Azula with negative reinforcement? No. Uh, does that mean that I am averse to mixing more with her? No. Uh, so, um, I'm more willing to use some of the more like I don't know, like leading her with a, a lead rope and a halter, um, versus being super diligent about teaching her targeting and transferring that cue to that to where the lead rope is just sort of a fail safe. Um, you know, I, I hope I'm making myself sort of clear here. I feel like this is extremely nuanced, but, um, that's not to say that i I, I mean, I can't know exactly, but right now my inclination is that when i do start riding azula the the i'm not going to you know be kicking and using all sorts of leg pressure i would like to teach cues via that pressure instead of you know i feel like we've had this nuanced conversation many times on this podcast i wish i could point out the exact episodes i believe it was probably in the ones with kane meyer over positive reinforcement riding but um, just leg pressure or rein pressure or t- physical, just touching the horse anywhere pressure is not, um, inherently bad. Tactile is not inherently bad. Um, how it's taught, like if I taught Azula to go forward faster by kicking, increasing the pressure and she is moving forward or faster as a result of trying to escape the pressure i.e. negative reinforcement, then probably no. So um, I would like everything she does to be motivated by the the reward, right? The positive reinforcement. So that's, that's sort of the nuance of the conversation on mixing reinforcements, right? Is it, It's hard to know what is the true motivation for the horse. So like a horse like Zoe, that's traditionally trained. If I go and you know, grab her from the field and I put a lead rope and a halter on her and I pull on the lead rope and she yields to the pressure and begins to follow it. And then I click and treat. She is not yielding to that pressure because she knows she's going to be reinforced uh, with a, a, you know, an appetitive, a food reinforcer. She is moving forward because she's yielding to the pressure to get the release of the pressure. Whereas Azula, who has been trained with positive reinforcement to follow the lead rope, you know, if I lift the lead rope, she is going to move forward because she has been positively reinforced for it. Um, over time, does it transfer arguably, but, um, you know, I always give her scratches for following the reinforcer. So, um, she has had that history built up of positive reinforcement. So. Like I said, it's always hard to know what the true motivation is because you can't directly ask them, but um, that's sort of my stance on it is that if the motivation for the behavior is the positive reinforcement, I don't really have an issue using negative reinforcement as sort of a secondary thing that's happening, um, which I guess it's it's not really then, is it? It's, I mean, maybe it can co-occur, um, but maybe it's more accurate to just say it's pressure on the lead rope in the example of Azula, um, sort of appearing to yield to the pressure because of the appetitive. I don't know. That's an interesting conundrum, isn't it? Um, interesting discussion. I'm sure there's an answer out there. I just, I don't have it on me in, in my brain today. Um, but yeah, I didn't expect to talk so long about that. That was supposed to be the, the updates. (laughs) Um, but i do think that i'm going to go ahead and end it here because uh everybody and their mother has decided now is the time to text and call me and i have some things to attend to so i want to thank you guys endlessly for listening to the rambling and i hope that there's some something comforting in that um particularly the bit about being overwhelmed because that that's something that's very difficult for me to be honest about but i feel like is is something beneficial for me to be honest about. Um, I feel like it's, I don't know. I feel like everybody sort of gets in that headspace where they're like, everybody else is finding this so easy and it's so hard for me. And to know that there are others out there that are also finding it quite difficult, I think is, is reassuring. So, um, we're all in this together. Um, and I don't know. I, I just thank you guys for, for listening and allowing me to have a little bit of sounding board here. I appreciate it and I will catch you guys in the next one.